The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Fathers, we, we sing that we acknowledge a great blessing and opportunity you, you have sent Christ for us. He's real. He has come. He has redeemed, and he is still at work to redeem. He, he still lives. Thank you for that, and now we ask you, will you show him to us? That's a work that you must do. Will you open our eyes and cause us to see him, to behold wonderful things about him, even in this passage? Please do that work for your honor and for the good and the growth of your church. For all, all of us who are here, Lord, some who maybe don't know you, most of us who do, we're all in different places. We all need you to draw near and show us Christ, so please do that. Reveal him, build your church, honor your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We all have plenty of experience with being unable to see something that's right in front of our eyes. Word search puzzles, where's Waldo drawings. Maybe, maybe a little more serious, different, different way, uh, the bad character signs that a, quote, friend is giving off that everybody else seems to be able to see, but you think she's great. Can't tell. You miss it. We think lots of examples because this is a common part of life. Not seeing what's really there. Not because you're physically unable to see it, but because somehow or another, for some reason or other, internally you don't properly process it. You don't make the right connections in your mind or heart. You, you don't realize, don't grasp, you don't see it. You're blind to it. The Bible takes that all one step further. That, that's a normal part of, of life here. And the Bible takes that one step further when it comes to spiritual truths, truths about Jesus, for example. We all, by nature, don't see what is true about him. Because by nature, we're blind to it. Spiritually blind. To him, to who he really is. What that all means for us in, in every situation, in every day of our lives, it's right in front of our eyes, and people are naturally blind to Jesus. Completely so, to start with, but then, in a way, partially so. You might say we're spiritually impaired, if not blind. Completely so to start, and then partially so, so we move on from there, and that's what brings us to our passage in Matthew chapter 9. Last week, in verses 18 to 26, we saw the authority of Jesus displayed in some remarkable ways in those two interwoven stories there. He first healed a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, a remarkably merciful gift to her. But then more amazingly, he raised a dead girl back to life again. Shocking. Alarming, in fact, even. And, and also very important. Because of how that 
particular miracle is, is a particular piece of evidence that Jesus actually is the Messiah that he was claiming to be all along. There's, there's not just a, a display of power, there's also a, a message in that. It's, it's a statement. This is the one in whom the resurrection begins, like he said. And word of that event spread throughout all the district. It went far and wide, this evidence of who Jesus is. It was right in front of everyone's eyes. Some saw it, but most didn't. So we're going to talk about blindness today in verses 27 to 34 and how Jesus can heal that. So let me read the passage and then draw from it two observations. This is Matthew 9 beginning in verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Matthew chapter 9. So, two observations from the passage. Here's the first, slightly longer. On the basis of faith alone, Jesus gives sight to the blind. On the basis of faith alone, Jesus gives sight to the blind. Verse 27 begins with two blind men following Jesus, crying out, making a big scene in public. And the similarities, as well as the differences, between this story and others leads a lot of people into discussion of this, that, and the other, trying to figure out which other story is this one a, a duplicate of. Because there are lots of opportunities to, to see connections here. I think the best answer is that it's not a duplicate of any of them. It's its own standalone story. But to be honest, there are a lot of blind people healed stories in the Gospels. In fact, it's the most common recorded miracle of Jesus. Blind people healed. And that itself is important to realize. Because the miracles of Jesus are almost always about something more than just the bare miracle itself. I mean, it is, but it's about more than that. Last week, for instance, the stopping of the bleeding from the womb and then the raising of the dead, that's not just about helping out a sick woman and a grieving family. It was that, but really it's pointing beyond that to something else about Jesus, showing that he's the one who gives life, even resurrection life. He's Lord over life, he saves it, and it's meant to make us think about spiritual life and how he's the Lord over spiritual life, how he saves spiritually and even brings people from spiritual death. Physically, yes, and also spiritual. It's supposed to make us think about that. And so now here, 
and so often elsewhere, blindness. Physical blindness, for sure, absolutely. And it's meant to make us think about another kind of blindness that we can't fix either. Spiritual blindness. The inability to see, spiritually speaking. To see spiritual realities in a believing way, in a, in a way that is more than just intellectually understanding, yes, I know that, that is true, but in a way that moves into life and shapes how we are, it, it leads us to conform our lives in some way to it. We, we get it. And the Bible depicts such blindness in, in kind of two general ways. First, in an absolute sense, spiritual blindness, that the person who is not a Christian is absolutely spiritually blind. Paul says that, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. says there that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the good news, the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus. Unable because they're blinded by Satan. That's absolute and that's all non-Christians, unbelievers there. So, as I say that, let me just... A little aside here, maybe that's you this morning, you're not a Christian this morning, and what you just heard sounds kind of insulting. It's not meant to be insulting. I know that often we use language like that, hey, this person's blind, and what we mean is something is wrong with him or her, and that's, it's an insult. But notice what the, the Bible says is that Satan has blinded the minds, it's it's really not an insult of you. It's talking about something that's happened to you as an attack from someone else. It's alerting you to a problem that you have. And as we're going to see, Jesus is offering a solution to that. To how you have been attacked and hurt. But the Bible's point is that a blindness. There's, there's a reality about spiritual things there that the non-Christian does not see. That's the first sort of blindness. But there's also plenty of biblical evidence about a second sort. Something that the most of us here who are Christians also see, also face. Paul again in Ephesians 1, praying for Christians in Ephesians 1, prays that we would have a spirit of wisdom and to condense a long prayer there, he essentially is saying, Lord, would you intervene to enlighten the eyes of their hearts? To enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may know the hope to which he's called us. That's Christians. Our hearts can be darkened. Our eyes can be, if not blind, impaired. Clouded over. And we need to see also, need to see the, the hope to which he's called us, the riches of the inheritance that, that's yours in him, the immeasurable power of God for you. Those are the things that Paul kind of enumerates there. And we could, we could add more. We need to see ourselves and our weakness and our temptation to realize what sin really is, what the world really is. 
How it's attractive, yet yeah, in some ways, but it's, it's shallow and it's fading away. The, to understand something of the, the beauty of Jesus, how he isn't shallow, but is deep, 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 far deeper than we realize, far richer than we realize. See some of the blessedness of walking with him and some of the certainty of what he has brought to us is the grace that will be ours as we walk with him day after day after day. All of those things, if you're a Christian, all of those things live up here. You know all of them. Truths you've got, maybe even memorized. But we don't often, often we don't see them with the eyes of our hearts. That is, see them in a way that, that is controlling, that is shaping of who we are and how we live. We all need spiritual sight. Our flesh is still real and clouds our eyes. So what does the passage say about that? How does sight come? How were their eyes open? Verse 30, Jesus' first two statements to them. They, they come blind and Jesus says two things, both of which are about faith. They cry out to him for mercy. They follow him. He leads them into the house. It's probably the house that he was staying in while he was there in Capernaum. And they come inside so they're out of the larger public view. He knows what they want, obviously, and he says to them, do you believe, believe, that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. Okay. You have faith that I can do this. So according to that faith, because you have faith, be it done to you. Faith, clearly, according to the faith, because you have faith, do you believe? Yes. Okay, then. Faith clearly is the, the key to accessing the might and the mercy of Jesus. A comes before B. Faith before he acts. That's the case here, as it has been over and over throughout this section. Just think back for a second. Over the last two chapters, obviously the, the main point being emphasized over these last two chapters, we talked about it over and over again, is the, the authority of Jesus, for sure. But right next to that, equally important, right next to it, Matthew makes sure to tell us and to show us what the proper human response is to that authority of Jesus. We see it in the leper in chapter 8, verse 1, as well as in last week's ruler. People who come to him, sure he can do something, and on their knees in front of them asking. We, we see it there, but we see it explicitly stated a bunch of times in these chapters. Chapter 8, verse 10, the centurion, with no one in Israel have I seen such, what? Faith. And then just like our passage, verse 13 let it be done for you as you have believed. Faith is the condition. He has that even though he's a Gentile. The disciples have it just a little bit when they're in the boat, panicked and desperate. Oh, you of little faith. That's verse 26. They have faith. They come to him. The paralytic and his friends, when Jesus saw their faith, forgave his sins and then healed him. 9 verse 2. And then the woman in verse 22, we saw this last week, your faith has made you well. Faith is why the leper ended up cleansed, why the centurion's servant ended up healed, 
why the boat didn't capsize, why the paralytic was forgiven and healed, why the woman stopped bleeding and was restored, and why the dead girl was raised. Over and over and over and over again. And now faith is the reason that these blind men get their eyes opened and can see. We must have faith, A, if we want to experience the mercy and might of Jesus, B, faith. Why faith? I'm, I'm preaching to a, a Christian church here, and, and so I imagine that as I say all this, there's, maybe there's a, oh, sure, okay, I mean, I get that. Have you thought about why faith? And why faith, think about a different context. There's a whole bunch of, even right around us, there's a whole bunch of people who think, think of themselves or think of their, their life paradigm as being more rigorous, more religious, and are going to say, well, no, no, it's not just faith. What Jesus responds to, I'm, I'm going I'm to one-up that, I'm going to be obedient, holy, righteous, you're just talking about, it. I mean, you just believe something. You just trust him and he does it. No, 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 no. What God wants is people who follow him, who walk with him, who act like he says we're supposed to be. That's real religion. And that is real religion. But the Bible is talking about a faith. What's the difference? Why? Why is that wrong? And it is capital W wrong. God's might, his mercy, his, his intervening kindness to us is not accessed by our obedience, by our righteousness, by our holiness. It's accessed by faith alone, period. Why? Because of what faith is. At its core, faith is what gets us access to this work of God because faith is something, very uniquely, faith is something. Faith is a simultaneous acknowledgement that I cannot, but Jesus can. Faith only says that. I cannot, but Jesus can. And it goes to him and says, here, I, I have a need. I have a great need. This is what faith is saying. I, I am poor in spirit. I bring nothing here. I got nothing in my hands. I got a gigantic problem that I cannot fix. I can't fill up that hole. I can't close the gap. I can't reverse the slide. I am, I am small and frail and weak and vulnerable and unable. Beatitude numeral uno, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, poor in spirit. That's what I am. Nothing. Here I am. This is real biblical faith. I have a problem I can't fix, but Jesus can. And he goes to him and says, this is what I am, this is what I have, but you reign over all things, so here's my need. Nothing in my hands I bring. I don't partially cleanse my leprosy. 
I don't tamp down the storm just a little bit first. I don't move her from dead to coma. I bring nothing but leprosy, raging storm, and death. Nothing else. But here, you can deal with it. You can address it. You can solve it. I cannot. You can. That's broken, humble faith. That's what Jesus responds to. And over and over again, that point is made crystal clear. Faith, faith, faith. Because faith says, I cannot. You can. And it is not the quality or the quantity of the faith that says that. It's just faith, period. Weak, superstitious faith. I have to touch the hem of his robe. No, just come. She's got some things wrong, but she came. Faith. Little faith, like the guys in the boat. Or solid, strong, centurion faith. Hey, I get chain of command. Just say the word. It'll happen. All of them equally get the same access to the same power. Because it's not the, the quality or the strength or the integrity of the faith. It's the quality, the strength, the integrity of the faith object. The thing trusted in. A person who with great timidity and fear steps out onto ice I think I'm going to fall in. I don't know if this is going to work or not. they got floaties on their arms. They're, they're worried. They're terrified. They tie a rope to their back, and they step out onto two feet of solid ice. Doesn't fall in. Nor does the guy who drives his pickup truck out onto that ice. He doesn't fall in either, because it's not about the confidence of driving a truck or the timidity of stepping out with a rope. It's about the ice, Right? It's not the quality or the integrity of the strength of the faith. It's the object of the faith. This faith, this biblical faith says, I cannot. But who can? Jesus. And it grabs hold of that certain one. That strong one with all of this authority. You, you, you are God in flesh. You can do whatever you want. And he can. Grabs hold of a certain Savior and then he does the work. To trust him. Him is like trusting in a parachute. When you trust the parachute, you are no longer trusting the plane or the helicopter or flapping your arms or spreading out ropes or holding your breath, not even pulling the ripcord. All credit is due to the parachute, and the person who says, I did not fall because I pulled the ripcord misunderstands. I did not fall because of the parachute. All credit goes to the parachute. Faith in Jesus, biblical faith, the reason that's the access to all this power is that it says, I cannot, but he can, and therefore it leans wholly onto and gives all credit, the Bible's word is, all glory and honor to him. And none to me. All glory and all honor is his. Faith is the one that accesses that mighty mercy of Jesus and leads to deliverance in countless ways. 
All these chapters and all these miracles are showing us countless ways, but this one in particular should make us think about comma, all these ways, comma, especially spiritual blindness. So we're going to think about that one. Maybe you, wherever you are today in particular, maybe there's some other situation that you're facing, and the first part of that, faith in Jesus to intervene in mighty mercy, maybe that's more relevant for you in a particular situation. That's true. Go with that. But we're going to talk specifically about what this passage brings up, blindness. And maybe if blindness sounds a little harsh or a little insulting, maybe where's your spiritual vision cloudy? Maybe I'll ask you that rather than where are you blind? Where's your spiritual vision cloudy? Like you got bad lenses or cataracts or smudges all over your glasses. Where? And Paul's list in Ephesians is a great place to start. Some of the things I mentioned earlier, great place to start. Where do I not see the riches? Where do I not see the inheritance? Where do I not see the power? So pick one of those. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. So you know, you're not debating this, you know Christ is mighty, he is merciful, and he is for you. Okay. But the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you. So Paul says in Ephesians 1, the immeasurable, can't, can't measure it, vast power for you. Do you live as if that's true? Fearlessly, confidently, at rest amidst storms in life. Storms come, they're going to blow us off, and the person who says, I see the immeasurable might of God for me, the, the storm blows you off, and that person says, okay, I don't get how this works out, but I know that he does not, so here. He's really mighty, really good here, and rests in that. Is that you? Or do you need to see in a believing way that moves you and causes you to walk with him at rest. Do you need to see his might? Or maybe to pick a different one, Christian, Christian, does God love you, yes or no? Sure, yes. Which Christian wonders about that? No, of course. But maybe you need to see how wide and long and high and deep is that love for you. That's also in Ephesians chapter 3. You know that verse. You probably have it memorized. You don't see it, do you? I mean, you don't doubt it, but you doubt it sometimes. Something else. What is it for you? It's probably something that you, that you know. You're a Christian. You, there's stuff that you know. You've got the verses memorized. You, you know where that is. You can tell, you've actually advised it to other people. But there's some way that you don't see seeingly. And what comes, out, what comes out in life is some sort of temptation or some sort of anxiety or some sort of bitterness or some sort of discord or some sort of 
I don't talk to other people about Jesus because I think I'm, I'm actually feeling kind of vulnerable here. I'm afraid. I, I knew somebody once who, in writing, talked about the fear of man and the, the might of God and, and working through all of that, said, okay, so the people who still think they, they completely trust in the, the power of God for them, how's your witnessing life going? Gotcha. Probably got us. Because if we actually saw, confidence would come. An appropriate boldness would come. A gracious boldness would come. What, what is it for you? Take that to him. Take that need to him. Lord, he, here's my need. I, I know some things, but these don't shape my life. These don't control me. I, I see them, but I don't see them. Help, open my eyes. Cause me to behold wonderful things from your word about how your power is for me, about how you love me, about how secure I am in your hands. Whatever it is, open the eyes of my heart. Cause me to behold wonderful things from your law. Those are the prayers of a Christian saying, help me with my sight. Come in faith, poor in spirit, and he will act. In particular, he will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you will see. He'll fill you with the spirit. And incidentally, if you're not a Christian, and like I said earlier, you hear the Bible's assessment that you're spiritually blind because the enemy of your soul has attacked you. Notice something here. There's a word of hope here for you also. These two blind guys were blind and they knew they were blind and they came to Jesus for help with that. They could have not come and just complained about it. But they came to Jesus and said, I got a problem that I can't fix, but I think you can. Now, how is it that they saw the problem? How is it that they came to understand Jesus? Why is it that they went to him? doesn't say here. That we could talk about that from other Bible passages. But the point here from this passage is, blind, they saw something. And maybe right now, as you're hearing this, you are thinking about something. Maybe you see a little bit of something. And, and my, my offer to you is Jesus stands with open arms and says, come. Just come. I'll open your eyes. I'll, I'll give you sight. I'll raise you from the dead. I'll bring you life, etc., etc., etc. What's required is not that you shape up your life, not that you be righteous and holy, not that you be churchy, not that you be religious, but that you trust me. Come. That's it. I can't. You can. That's his offer. And it's his promise. He'll heal you. So come. And don't with you. Don't turn away from him. Don't walk away like the people of verses 33 and 34 did, which takes us to the next observation. 
So the second point, a warning to us, beware the spiritual blindness that leads away from faith in Jesus. Beware the spiritual blindness that leads away from faith in Jesus. Come to this point in part by noticing where it, that it sits here in the, the larger context. Matthew's whole gospel. Very beginning of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, we get the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. That's the very beginning of the gospel. And then you may recall, if you were here way back then, that the genealogy is then told so as to emphasize for us David. This is the son of David, the one that the covenant with David is about. This is the Messiah, the son of David. Matthew introduces him, and then the rest of the, the chapters leading up to here are showing that, proving it, elaborating on it. it. Brings us to our passage today, and seen in that larger context then, the two blind men called Jesus what? The son of David. First time in the book that that's a title assigned to him by people. They get it. Chapter 1, verse 1, to them, they get it. He's the Messiah. That's what they're calling out. And that's probably why Jesus deals with them in, silent, in, the, in the house, in private, and then tells them not to tell everybody about all this because they're crying out, Messiah, Messiah, have mercy on us. And people don't understand what that means. And so they're going to spread a message that's very confusing. So don't, please. But they get it. A couple of them there. They, they get this is the Messiah. They understand and they speak a verdict. You are the son of David. But we see this verdict idea, especially in the second paragraph. Some unnamed people bring a demon-possessed man who's mute. He's got a demon in him. Demon's cast out. He speaks. He's healed. But the way this story is told, we read this and compare it to all the other stories, you realize the emphasis in this story uh, yeah, it tells the details, but the emphasis in the story is not on the healing miracle and not even on Jesus, who's not even mentioned, in fact. The demon was cast out. I mean, of course, Jesus did it. That's, that's the point, but he's not even mentioned. There's no, there's no discussion of it because really, this isn't about the miracle. The miracle is a platform for the two verdicts passed right afterwards. And their verdicts, not just about the miracle, their verdicts about the whole, what I might call the whole Jesus phenomenon. The people who first speak, they talk about nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Well, surely the raising of a dead girl was more impressive than this. And Jesus cast out a bunch of demons back in chapter 8. They don't mean this mute man is unique. They mean this thing is really different. And they're passing a verdict on it. Verdicts that are warnings to us. So, the first crowd, they marvel. Never like anything. Never. Oh, wow. And that's the point. Wow. Seems pretty good, I guess, huh? Like they're impressed. They marvel. 
Never have we seen anything like this in all of Israel's history. What did they say about Jesus? Or, to ask in a different way, what conclusion about Jesus did the crowds draw from all the evidence? All of these healings are telling us something about Jesus. They are displaying the authority of Jesus. What conclusion about Jesus did the crowds draw from this? Nothing. What they came away with was, wow, this is amazing. And that's it. That's not the faith that draws them up close to Jesus and accesses for them the might and mercy. It's subtle rejection. They're impressed with the show. And when the show ends, or as we see as this story goes on, when the show turns to be about some things they're less crazy about, what do the crowds do? They turn also. And in the end, the crowds and the Pharisees are in the same spot against him. There's no faith here in this. So the first verdict raises an alert for us as we're as we're following along and reading this, there's an alert here. Don't just be impressed by the power show. It's meant to point you towards and invite you to actual faith. I cannot, but he can. And many, many people drop short and just say, Jesus is amazing. Next. And they miss him. And then, of course, there's another verdict, verse 34. A different sort. He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Plural, because they're not just talking about this one. They're talking about all of the demons that he has cast out. He casts them out because he's actually working for Satan, and they're just obeying the orders of their boss. Jesus is in cahoots with Satan. That's why this works. And having drawn that wrong verdict, they, of course, are against him from here on out. They oppose Jesus. Not because they evaluated the evidence and made an honest mistake. There's nothing in the mercy of Jesus, the doing good of people, the bringing people back to life, the kindness, the compassion. There's nothing in that that says, this is just like Satan. Nothing at all says that. They didn't misread the evidence. They just ignored the evidence. Why? Because they clearly understood if he's the king, his kingdom is going to mean that I'm not the king and my kingdom is going away. And there's a warning in that for us today too. Plenty of people see something of this Jesus and say, I, I get enough of this. I see enough of the power. I see enough of the authority that I realize that there's, there's something coming down there. There's a, there's a point where these things are going to meet and one these is going to have to give. And so I don't want that answer, so I will say no to it, despite the evidence. That's bias and prejudice. Never mind the evidence, I want what I want, so I'm going to reject him. 
much of the world is that you. Much of the world sets aside Jesus because in the end it does not want him. It realizes what he says about the way the world wants to live, about the light that he wants to shine into the darkness to expose, and it says, no. Therefore, my answer is no. Why? Because my answer is no. That's why. Please be careful with that if that's you. Bias and prejudice is not a way to find the truth. And this is so important. There's a warning here to us. So please, I invite you, look at yourself and consider. Do you see in yourself some sort of a response to Jesus that says, no, why? Because I don't like it. Friend, that's not an answer. That's a response from prejudice. That's not an answer to the truth. That's not an exploring of the evidence. That's not a seeking what is right and proper. Is that, is that your response? Is there, is there a resistance in, in your heart, in something in you that says, no, because I don't want that? Well, let me suggest to you that that's there because there's a blindness that someone else has afflicted you with and you don't see, you do see something of the authority, but you don't yet see something of the mercy. And there's an enemy of your soul that wants to hide that from you, to kill you. He is indeed the king, but he's a king that comes open-handed, open-armed to go to the cross for you, not to kill you, to kill himself. There's might, yeah, and there's mercy there, and you don't see that. You don't see it. If you're resistant and you say no, like the Pharisees here, I don't want that, it's because there's a blindness in you from someone afflicting you. Please come to him and say, God, I don't see it yet. If there's something in you that notices resistance, but maybe there's something else in you that's saying like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, why? Maybe he's beginning to open your eyes even right now. Do you see this? This Jesus is indeed the king, and he's also the lamb that's going to come and offer up his blood in your place. There's great mercy. There is great, vast, wide, long, high, deep love for people just like you. You have an enemy of your soul that wants to keep you from seeing that and wants to keep you away from trusting him. And all Jesus can say is, look at me dying on the cross. There's evidence. Will you look at it? Please look at it. Distrusting of him and wary. Look at the cross and think. Why would he do that if he was out to get you? It's because he's out to get you, to save you. That's why he did that. Come blind, not seeing some things, but seeing at least this, that Jesus is able to save. Jesus is able to open your eyes to see all the rest of it. But Jesus is the one that you need. His cross is the payment that you need. And his offer is the mercy and the love that your heart wants. Come. Come. 
I see, Lord, but help my blindness. I believe, but help my unbelief. That's an offer that Jesus always responds to, open-armed, graciously. God, open my eyes. Call out to him like that in surrendered faith, and you will find him good, and you will find life. That's his promise and his offer. Come. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that in mercy you consistently over centuries open eyes and draw people to you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that for me. In my blindness and my lostness, you reached out and grabbed me. Thank you. You've done that for so many of us. Would you do that for more? Please open eyes and save. And then for those who are saved, open our eyes still further and cause us to behold wonderful things, further still wonderful things, and cause us to walk with you. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.